0: Hey everybody! I uh, I missed you guys. Did I, did y'all miss me? Yeah. All right, so I have a lot of insecurities, and so when I say a real pandering question like that, I need you guys to just pat me on the back. And yeah, we missed you. Um, we're gonna talk about love for the next five weeks. We're gonna talk about love. Uh, I am convinced that there is not a more overused word. It has become cliche. Uh, it's become, it's a word that's lost all meaning. It's a word that's been hijacked and, and lost meaning and replaced with a false definition. We have created um, a counterfeit love in our culture, and now our culture can't tell the difference between what, what real love designed by our designer is and what counterfeit love that we've created is, um, and, and that's a... That's a problem. And that's a big problem. First time I told my wife that I loved her, uh, we were dating. We had been dating for like six months, seven months, somewhere in there. Um, and, uh, and it was at her parents' house. And, uh, and I had thought about it a lot and prayed about it a lot. And I was like, man, I'd never, I'd never used the L word before. And so I was like, man, I'm gonna, this, this is the girl, man. Like I was convinced. I was like, I love this girl, like, we're either gonna get married or she's gonna put a restraining order against me. Like, those are the two, that is the options. Like, there's not an in-between area here. And I remember I I told her, I said, hey, babe, Uh, also Danielle is her name, Uh, I said, hey, I I love you. I I love you. And her response was, thanks. (laughs) So let that moment soak in there for you guys. It's funny, right, but I was sitting there on her mom's living room floor. That's the response. Um, that was okay. Actually, another story doesn't really have anything to do with my sermon. Uh, the first time, we, we, were, we were like dating for a year, and I don't know why we thought this, but we were like, hey, what's like one word that describes you, right? This is my sweet wife, and I was like what's, like, what's one word that when you see me, like what does this, like this word like encapsulates me, and like for you, what's that word? And so I went first, and the word I picked was beautiful, but wait, I defined Beautiful. In like this really awesome way, like I, you know, not just beautiful from a physical standpoint, but beauty in a way that transforms everything around it. Beauty that when when she walks into the room, it doesn't just light up the room with physical attraction, but there is a depth and a wisdom and a godliness, and people are drawn. And this awesome, be- and so like I like really hammer. And there was like birds flying around me when I was <laughs> saying like the li- like extra lights in my house turned on as I'm speaking, and there was like. A guy on a piano outside, homeless guy. Anyway, so I, I give her the word beautiful, and then it was her turn, and she gave me the word neat. This is a true story. She gave me the word neat, and the homeless guy on the piano just brrrr and left. Neat. Like, this is neat. Like, it slides up and down. Look how neat this is. And yet, she still married me, and so she has been married to this neat guy for a long time. Uh, Man, there's all these different, all all different kinds of love, right? We use that word, we throw out that word, we say that word all the time. We could say it in referring to like a romantic relationship. We could say it, I tell you guys I love you all the time. I I genuinely mean that, a certain definition of of what that love looks like. Uh, We say we love tacos, we say we love God, we say God loves us. The word love, we throw around a lot. And in different contexts, it's going to mean different things, and that's okay. It doesn't mean we can never say we, we can't say we love tacos because that's the same word. But the word we have in English, it doesn't do it justice. And because when we talk about romantic love, when we talk about more specifically the love that our God has for us, we wrestle to figure out what that word really means and the implications of it. Uh, look, if we believe, if you're in this room and you believe that God is behind this God is behind creation. God is the designer and has designed within us this intrinsic capacity to love other people, that it's a part of our design, and then also simultaneously designed in us this this hole, right, that, that only love can fill and fit, and we're constantly trying to find the puzzle piece to fill that. If we believe that this God has created love and designed love and given us love, then that makes it so important for us to really search out The God who has defined it. it, And look at his word and say, where are we going to find what the depth and the root and and the weight and the power of the love of God and the love that we are called to give to other people. So there's a lot of questions that I I want us to answer through scripture. They're not all going to be answered tonight. In fact, I would say few of them are going to be answered tonight. Tonight's going to be kind of a tease. There's a good chance that you're going to leave here with more questions than you came in with. And I'll explain why here in a second. But some of the questions that we, we wrestle with that I believe we find answers to in Scripture are real practical. Like, how do I identify if I love someone? Right? Like, I'm dating somebody. Like, when is that time? How do I know if I love them? Is this the right person to love? How do I love an enemy? Right? Or how do I even love somebody that annoys me? Uh, how do I receive love from someone else? What is love? How does it work? Where do we find it? What does the love of God mean? What does it look like? What does it do? My genuine prayer for this ministry, for specifically the next five weeks that we're gonna be in this series on the shape of love, is that we would dig into what real biblical love is in a way that really does change us. And, and I said it earlier, I don't have the power, I'm not a good enough communicator, I'm not savvy enough, I don't have enough funny pithy stories about my wife to make that happen. But our, our prayer and our Our begging is before the Lord to say, God, would I understand your love more? Would I study, not just on Wednesday night, would I study, would I dig into, would I lean into what love is, biblical, deep, changing love is, in a way that changes and challenges us? So this series has actually been a blast to prep for. Um, It has been so much fun, all Christmas break, um, really digging into, reading all kinds of books and word studies on, on what real love looks like. I have studied it a lot. Um, I, have, uh, I have been married to a woman who I love and adore for almost 10 years, 10 years in April. I have two boys, a three-year-old and a almost six-month-old. They were, some of you guys might have run into them. They were out here um, earlier tonight. I love them. I'm standing in front of a room of people that I love, and I would give my life serving. And yet, as I dig into this over the last month, what does real love look like? I have such a long way to go. I have so far to go to really wrap my arms around this concept that God has offered and allowed and made available for me to understand his depths more and more and more. But for me, standing up here, I have learned as a, I've studied more and more that God, I have so much more I need to grow, so much more heart change, so much more understanding of love. That's not just head knowledge but understanding that changes us, and so um, that's that's where we're at. There is infinite room for grace. There's infinite room for growth in this area, so we're going to wrestle with it for five weeks. We're going to wrestle with it. Uh, We're going to take hold of it in a way that changes it, and that is my prayer and hope for us together as a a ministry. Um, A couple of clarifying notes that I need to get out of the way at the beginning of this five-week series. One, this is hard to preach, um, and here's what I mean by that. This idea of love and, and preaching and unpacking for us biblically what love looks like, the reality is, this book, the Bible, I mean, this is, this is a book about the glory of God, which is intertwined with his love. Um, it, is, it is really, really intense and really, really deep. And so, even this five week series, it really feels like it's just one long, like, four hour sermon. Um, and I really kind of thought I was talking to Josh. I was like, hey, Josh, what if, like, instead of doing a five-week series, I just get up on the first night, and I preach a four-hour sermon, and we just get it all out of the way? He talked me out of it. Um, so you can thank Josh afterwards for that. Uh, there's, like, nine people in the room that have that kind of attention span, and I'm not one of them. So, uh, so we're breaking this thing up into five weeks. And so what's going to happen because of that, as a clarifying note, is that this sermon is going to end, and you're going to think, great. But, but what does that really look like? And so tonight, we're going to unpack a real broad picture of what the shape of love looks like, and then the next three weeks, we're going to really dig in to a, a few real specific aspects that are going to impact and affect us. So my second observation, just note, have, have cards on the table, I believe, I believe that looking at the truth of scripture is where and only where we're going to actually be able to find what a true shape of love is. Um... So my cards on the table, I believe this is our authority. This is our authority for truth and how we define the shape of love that we want to dig into. And so this is where we're going. This is where we're going to try to pull truth out of to, to make this more clear to us. Uh, I, did a, I did a word study, and this is nerdy, um, but I, I thought it was cool. Uh, 281 Bible verses with, with love in them. And in the Old Testament, So the Old Testament, put on my nerd glasses for a second. The Old Testament was written in Hebrew, right? So we have English. It was originally written in Hebrew. And so for us, when we see the word love in the first half of the Bible, right, the Old Testament part of the Bible, when we see that word love in English, it could have been one of five or six or seven different Hebrew words. And we just take the word love and throw it on there. But the reality is the depth of that meaning meant something very different. And there were all these different components and angles to it. There's the word raya in Hebrew, which sometimes the word and we don't know where it is because it just says love in our English Bible. But when we look a little deeper, raya was this friendship, companionship love. Uh, we have this idea of dode. The word dode shows up nine times in the Old Testament, and that's essentially love making. Right? That's the, it's six of those nine times are all in the Song of Solomon, which is like a let's get it on letter in the Old Testament. It's a great letter. You guys should read that at some point. Um, <laughs> right, we've got... Uh, Kashak is a word four times, which really is this idea of joining together. But the the main majority of Old Testament, the time that the word love pops up, and it happens more than any other word, is this word ahava. And it's this really deep picture of love. It's not just a joining together. It's not just a physical act of love. It's this deep companionship that's unchanging and committed. Um, In the New Testament, there are four. The New Testament was written in Greek originally. So when the first guys sat down and got inspired by the Holy Spirit to start writing the Bible, and the Holy Spirit spoke through them and used and and created what is an inerrant book for us of God's word, they were writing in Greek. And there were four Greek words. One of them is eros, which doesn't actually show up in the New Testament. It means like erotic. But the other three words are all in here. The other three words are in here. Uh, Agape is the main word that we see time and time again. The other ones are stodge and philo. Philo is like a friendship kind of companionship, but agape, which shows up more than any other word in the New Testament. And it shows up very little outside of the Bible in secular writings. But this word agape in Greek, it was deep. We just throw the word love on there. So it's like, I love tacos and I love God. But when we see the word agape in the New Testament, it was this beautiful thing that required a call and a change and required an action, which we're going to talk about tonight. So, Cards on the table, this is where we're getting our shape for love. So as objections come, as questions come, as as difficulty comes, this is what we go back to to say, man, well, let's see what this says. Let's dig a little deeper. Let's keep working it. So um, third thing, third little observation before we jump off into the next five weeks. Um, Our burden in this series, I kind of unpacked this, is not to fully explain all of love with a comprehensive definition, with some how to fully understand God's love in five easy steps. It's not what this is going to be. Uh, that's not what this is going to be. That's not, I don't think, obedient to the word of God. Um, that's certainly not what God has called me to do in this time over the next several weeks. Uh, it's to shine some light on what, uh, what I think is misunderstood corners that make out the shape of love. And so let me, um, let me explain what I mean by that. Maybe you've heard the parable of the blind guys who run across, like these wise men, but they're blind, and they run across an elephant. And they they get up the elephant, and one guy goes up to the side of the elephant, and he he feels the side of the elephant. It's a solid beast of an animal, and he's blind, right? And he says, "Man, this is a wall. This is a really tough, sturdy wall." And the other blind wise man goes up, and he gets he gets a hold of the tail, and he's feeling the tail. He's like, "No, this is a rope, right? It's this kind of wiry rope." And another guy gets gets the leg. and He's like, "No, this is a tree." And so all these blind men are all feeling this elephant in different components, in different sizes, and they're all coming up with the wrong thing. So. Our hope for this series is that we would start to unpack and reveal the shape of love in specifically some areas that I think we get wrong all the time. I think there are some aspects to what God has created and defined and given us as love that we take and we just forget an entire corner of what that word means, the depth of that word, the power of love in our life, and we settle for something less, and all of a sudden we have this thing that we've created as love in our life, and we have some sort of working definition that's playing out in our life, but it might not be the proper shape of how God's designed it, and that's huge, and there is a lot at stake for that. That is the burden of what we're doing, and there's going to be questions that you guys come across throughout this series, and so what we're going to do is tonight's going to be a general flyby. You're very possibly, like I said, going to leave with more questions. Um, our hope is that this is a journey. Our hope is that man, if, if you go out of town in the next few weeks, then I'll send you my sermon notes or you podcast us uh, because I would love to continue to walk with us. But then for three weeks, we're going to zoom in and then on the, the fifth week, the fifth week, the last week, we're going to get up here and we're going to answer any questions you guys have, whether they're real practical, whether they're things that came up any time in the last, in the four weeks of specifically unpacking the Bible on love. And so we want you guys to text in questions all night tonight, the next few nights. If, if I say something that offends you, if I say something you totally disagree with, that's what we want this community to be. This is an okay place for that to happen. I think so often the church or, or ministries create this facade that here's what we believe, and if you don't believe it, sorry, you're out. And we don't ask good questions. We don't wrestle together as, as brothers and decide, man, what, I believe this. Well, I believe, well, I, we're fighting for truth. And so wrestle with us. And so text us. On all of the slides tonight, we're going to have in the bottom left corner the phone number. Text us questions have come up. And who knows? I might answer a question you have tonight in next week's sermon. Um, but, uh, but dialogue with us and, uh, and let's do this together. There's a lot at stake. There is a lot at stake. Mark 12, we'll throw it up on the screen if uh, that's easiest for you guys. Mark 12, verse 28 through 31 says this. And one of the scribes came and heard them disputing with one another, and seeing that he answered them well, he asked, which commandment is the most important of all? So he's asking Jesus, what's the most important commandment? Jesus answered, the most important is, hear, O Israel, The Lord your God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second is this you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other command greater than these. Everything in Scripture, all of God's commands in Scripture, Jesus stands here in in Mark 12 and points to, all of them point to this idea you love God and you love others. Everything in Scripture, all of our commands, all the obedience points, To that, to miss what love is, is huge. To miss what love is, is to not be able to obey all of God's commands and all that scripture points to. Love God, love others. 1 John 4, 8, we'll throw it up on the screen. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. So to understand and know and to do this act of love is to know God. So there's a lot at stake. 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 3. Let me give you one more if you're not convinced yet. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or clanging cymbal. And if I have, a prof- if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith so as to remove mountains but have not love I am nothing if I give away all I have and if I deliver up my body to be burned but have not love I gain nothing so much is at stake in understanding and coming to a true changing relationship with the God who loves us and understanding what that is what that looks like and how to love others and how to reciprocate to our God and to others Uh, functionally to not have what love is, is missing out. It's missing out in our relationship with the God of the universe. It's missing out in our relationships that we're called to have with people in this life. That's why we're spending five weeks on love. Um, so let's go. First aspect. The first and, and really kind of only aspect I'm going to tease out tonight is, uh, is this aspect um, that, that kind of pushes against the idea of emotion. Um, here's, I think, the mistake we, we make in our, in our culture. Um, And I make it in my life too all the time. We see love as this powerful, uh, almost magical, right? Almost magical emotion, kind of this mystical feeling that we stumble upon or we fall in and out of. And that's kind of how love begins to be defined for us. It's this really mystical, powerful, uh, emotional thing that drives us. Uh, and so we see that play out in romantic relationships. We we see that play out spiritually also. Uh, and how that looks romantically, I think that's probably more obvious. How that looks romantically, whenever we have as our foundation, as our driving captain of the ship, this emotional pool and, and, and heart stirring that happens with, with love. And when we have that as the foundation, what happens is we bounce from relationship to relationship, looking for this emotional high. That will last. Uh, I've got um, I've got buddies who I love to death, man, and they are in a romantic sense. They are searching for that one, right? They're searching for that one girl, and one of the things that's happened is their foundation of love, which we're gonna we're gonna unpack it correctly here in a second. But their foundation of love is emotion, and so if that's the driving captain of their ship, then. My my good friend, he'll he'll meet a girl, and he'll, man, she's so emotional. This is love. I have defined this is love. This is my shape of love, and I'm pursuing this girl, and this is it. And there's a buzz, and there's emotion, and there's feeling, and all of those things are God-wired, I believe, and important. And, and there's chemistry involved, and that's that's a good thing. But when it becomes the foundational thing, then as you hit speed bumps, as you start celebrating the second year anniversary of dating or or Worse yet, you get into a marriage, and then all of a sudden, one day in the marriage, there's not that same necessary chemistry, but there is chemistry with this this girl I work with all of a sudden. And, hey, this is different, and this is mysterious, and, man, there's something about this. And all of a sudden, our foundation is so shaky because it's driven on emotion. Dangerous. How it looks when it's uh, relationships with our friends, right? Not a romantic relationship, but with friends. As soon as they become inconvenient to love we stop being friends with them. As soon as the relationship becomes more work than it is benefit, then we find different friends. We bounce out of that. How it looks, even when we apply it spiritually, man, is we bounce from place to place looking for God. And if our foundational definition of the shape of love is this mystical feeling, then we show up at a worship service like this, and maybe while the the music's going, we think, man, I feel this love. And this is, this is God. I feel God's love here because God's love is a feeling-driven, foundational thing. I, I got a story. There's a worship leader I used to travel and do some work with, and uh, he was a funny guy. And he would have people come up to him afterwards and be like, oh, man, dude, when you play that one song, man, right when you got into the bridge, I just feel, I felt the spirit of God come down, man. You hit that bridge, and I felt the spirit of God. And this guy straight up to, like, kids' faces be like, nope, that was the bass drum. But, no, no, I mean like that bridge. Like I felt it. I felt the spirit. He's like, no, the bridge where he goes right. Yeah, no, that's the bass drum. You felt the bass drum and you misinterpreted the bass drum as the spirit of God. <laughs> like I do that. Right? Music is a powerful, powerful tool, and music is designed to stir our emotions, and that is a healthy thing, and shouldn't be run from. But when it becomes the driving thing, we bounce. We bounce from church to church, podcast to podcast, worship album to worship album. We. We become infatuated with we've got to feel God. If we're not feeling God, he must not be here. And that's a dangerous place to be spiritually. It's a dangerous trap to fall into when we have started to create the shape of love with emotion at the foundation of it. Um, one of the most famous passages of love in scripture, you hear at just about every wedding you're at, is 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7. I'm going to read it for you here. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoings, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Let me make an observation. What, what we just read. What's up there on the screen? 1 Corinthians 13. Uh, that didn't just describe emotion. What the Apostle Paul, when he wrote 1 Corinthians describing, is not emotion, right? He's describing a a tangible, almost personified picture of love that has effects and attitudes and actions. And it is more than emotion. There is action. It's, It's personified. So what is it? Love is action. Part of the foundational shape of love should have with it this idea that there is action that is attached to that love. Not just simply emotion at the foundation, but action. And if it's real, biblical, then there should be effects of that love that validate it. So real agape love will require action. Uh, Look at John 21, 15 through 17. Jesus has been crucified. He rose again. He goes and hangs out with his buddies on the beach, all of his disciples. And while they're on the beach, he's talking to Peter. And Peter had denied Jesus three times. When Jesus gets arrested, all these people are coming up to Peter and they're like, hey man, aren't you that guy that like hangs out with Jesus? And Peter's like, nope, not me. Somebody else is like, hey, you're the guy, you're the disciple. Nope, not me. He denies him three times before he's crucified. So Jesus returns to him and restores Peter in this story. But look what happens. In verse 15, it says, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, Yes Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him feed my lambs. And then he said to him a second time, Simon son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Um, I'm gonna put on my nerd glasses again one more time. Let me show you something of the word love that we see here. Uh, The word that Jesus says for love and the word that Simon Peter responds with love. Let's put the, the first time he asks him. This is what he says. Simon, son of John, do you, and the word there in the original text, when the original author wrote this, we lose it in our English translation, he says, do you agape me? And what he means when he says that is, are you willing to die for me? Is there a depth and a connection and an intimacy in our love that's not just a friendship, philo kind of love, but it is an agape, deep, changing love? Are you willing to have the action that comes along with what it means to love me? You denied me. You followed me for three years. When, when hit, stuff hit the fan, you said, nope, I don't know him do you agape me? And look what, look what Peter says. He says, yes, Lord, I philo you. The next time, he says, Simon, son of John, do you agape me? And John says, yes, Lord, you know I philo. Yeah, of course I love you. But the way he says love is, yeah, man, of course, Jesus, you and I, we're buddies. We're, we're companions, we're friends. Jesus is calling us with a kind of love and a depth of love. That's going to produce action in our life. It's going to require sacrifice and action in our life. Um, and to not have that is to miss out on what God's love really looks like. Um, I don't think what I'm telling you is necessarily blowing your mind right now, right? I think a lot of us have heard the idea that love is a verb, right? There's a great song about that. We'll get Casey to rap that one day. Um, look, and, and if you're sitting here unmoved, and if we hear that and we think, okay, right, there's like love's a verb, there should be action attached to that, I get that, um, man, let's just be careful. Uh, Let's be careful because to not be chained, to understand in our head that it's action, but then to really look at our lives and say, man, do I really, in a heart level, really believe that? Do I really love the Lord in that way? Do I really love others in that way? Do I really receive God's love in a way that really produces effects? Uh, Can I tell you how much I hate The Bachelor? Can I just, let me just tell you how much I hate The Bachelor, man. Not the actual guy, Mumbles McGee, but the, the concept of The Bachelor. And we all feel like Luke should have been the guy, and then they get Mumbles, and everybody's pissed. Uh, so the lie, right, the, the cultural lie in The Bachelor and The Bachelorette and everything else, right, that's just easy to pick on. The cultural lie is that there's this mystical emotional one. And we've got to find the one, and where's the one? And there's like 90 girls, right? And we got to pick the and we got to have the right date and figure out the right, and if the right emotional sparks happen, and not the compatibility is an issue, but man, how do we find that one where I am emotionally stirred so that we can really find love? It's a, it's a lie that we're perpetuating and celebrating and watching this train wreck of people who are looking for love in a way that is only going to lead them to not real love, to a intrinsically shallow view of love. And we wonder why, like, those couples don't last, man, what? I don't understand that. It's built on that. And, and most of Hollywood's romantic films are that, and they're easy to pick on, but in our life, throughout our life, we settle for, for this kind of romantic love that's really, really anticlimactic and doesn't actually require real action. Here's, here's an example. I think I got time for it. So let's say... Let's say I tell you, hey, guys, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bake you a cake. Cake? Who loves cake, right? Everybody loves cake, right? Unless you're, like, on a sugar diet and that kind of thing. and Yeah, so whatever. Just pretend you like cake. I've got a big table here, and I've got eggs and all these ingredients and all these fresh ingredients, and I, like, get exotic stuff you've never seen of, and I lay it out, and maybe even crack a few eggs, and it's Cake? There it is, guys, and I don't actually mix them all together. I don't put them in the oven. We don't actually see it come to completion. There's no actual action. It's just these intentions of, well, I kind of like this, and we'll get some eggs, and here's some sugar. Whenever we settle for an emotional view of love, and we we handpick a few characteristics of compatibility, and we call that love, we're settling for some unbaked, unfinished, anticlimactic picture of what God has called us to experience relationally with him, romantically. That's what he's called us to experience, yet we settle for, for something so, so much less. So is there action in your love? Um, we see in scripture, by this you will, you will know love. Um, there will be results. There will be action. And, and to ask the question, well, how do I, how do I, from a romantic standpoint, find that one? How do I weigh what should be compatibility issues, and what should just be? Man, here it is. I'm gonna love them. I'm gonna bake the cake, and I'm in. And there's there's action and effects to it. How, how does all that work? What's the balance between those things? Great question. Different sermon. Sorry. <laughs> Here's what we need to see from tonight. Here's what we need to see from tonight. Romantic love should have effects to it. God glorifying effects. Uh, friendship and brotherly and sisterly love should have God-glorifying effects to it. Uh, the love of God to God should have effects in our life. And if it doesn't, if those results aren't there, then they're not validating what true, the true shape of love is. The results should appear and that should really validate the idea of love. Um, maybe somebody in your life, Maybe somebody in your life has said, I love you, to you. Maybe you, have, maybe you have said that to somebody else, or they've said that to you. That's really, really common, right? Maybe you were in middle school. Maybe it was last month. Maybe it was last night. But somebody has used that word, I love you. And they used that word in a context that you believed meant something. And then there wasn't actually action that backed that up. There wasn't effects and waves from that that carried on. And so the idea of love was then defined for you with expectations that never actually come to, came to fruition. Um, and that kind of a love is, um, is, is at the best immature. At the worst, it's just a lie. At the worst, it's just a lie. And uh, if you think, man, that's messed up, you're calling me a liar, right? First John 4, 20 through 21. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. Our love is validated by our action. So maybe you've been in a friendship where you felt like, man, there was really love there. And then it it dissipated in a way that wasn't God-glorifying. Not just dissipated because you moved and life circumstances changed. Or maybe you thought you were in love. And, and I'm, not, I'm not invalidating the feeling of love. Maybe you really felt like, I'm in love with this person. I'm not invalidating that. I'm just saying that I, I'm just saying it's not true. It's valid, it's just not true. And here's what I mean by that. Here's what I mean by that. Full, if we're looking for the deep, deep, agape kind of life-changing love, if we don't want to just throw around that I love tacos, I, I love this person, I love you guys, but we are looking for that deep love that changes us, whether relationally, whether with our God Almighty, then we have to look at the effects and the actions of it. Is there change? Is there consistency? Is there action to that love? And so often, I think it's just a pattern of us maybe not being mature enough right, us not being mature enough to, tr- to track with that. Or honestly, maybe it's not us being willing. Maybe it's we get down that road and we say, hey, I'm just not willing to continue this. In which case, we have now redefined that word we used. We've now redefined it and given it, hey, I know I said love, but this is what my love actually looks like. And here's why that is so, so dangerous. Because it shapes incorrectly our love. It shapes incorrectly what love should look like. Um, how do we get so skewed? Let me, um, let me just briefly kind of start landing the plane on this. Um, if you have, uh, if you've got a father in your life, and I got so many friends uh, who, who have gone through this, and you have a father in your life, um, a father in your life was designed by God, part of his design was to help create a healthy, correct, biblical shape of love. It's part of why God gave us dads. And you might have a father in your life that did not give you a proper, healthy, godly, correct shape of love. And I'm so sorry for that. I am. I really am. And and maybe you had a mother or a father or maybe you had a, a boyfriend that used that word. And and you went down roads and you you thought that that word meant something and it was shaping something, but then that dried up. And that didn't produce what is God glorifying. It didn't have the effects. It didn't have the action that we're going to see in the next three weeks are intrinsic within the idea of love. Because maybe he just didn't know or maybe she didn't know and she threw around that word and and that shapes incorrectly what our view of love is. Um, Maybe you've got a skewed shape of love uh, when it comes to The pain in your life, the pain in your life and the perception you have uh, of God's hand in that pain. And maybe you've been through some really hard things. I know I'm talking to a room full of people who have been through some really hard things. I know you guys have. And maybe you're in this room and you've been through hard things or you've seen really hard things. And when you see those things and then you hear about a God who's in control, And you think, how can this God who is in control let this happen in my life, in this world, to these people, to me? This God loves me? This God so loves the world? And because of a a skewed perspective of his hand in that, maybe that starts to shape your view of love in a way that isn't real, isn't true. It's valid. It's valid where you're at just is it what God really has for you. Or maybe you're in this room and your shape of love has been shaped by Christians. Maybe you don't have a problem with God. Uh, but maybe you're in this room and you've seen Christians who say they are followers of God. And you've seen the way they love people. And you've thought, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? What kind of people do that? What kind of people celebrate that? What kind of people picket that? What kind of people say those kind of hateful things? And because you have been around Christians, maybe you think God's okay, but your shape of love has still been skewed because a group of people has really hijacked that word. Man, there is healing for those things. My sisters in this room, my brothers in this room, we have somewhere along the way, gotten our love out of shape, of how God has actually called us to experience it and understand it in a way that will change our lives on a daily basis, on ways that he wants us to experience. That is who we're preaching to. That is who this is for. For for you who are hurting and need healing, and week after week and day after day and relationship after relationship, You are not finding a love that is transforming. Um, That's where we're going. The tangible actions that you experience don't match this theological picture that we're going to unpack the next three weeks uh, that you're going to hear about in sermons. The actions that you lived through in your life maybe don't match all the words about love that we sing about in these worship songs. And so maybe you try to sing along and, and maybe mentally, cerebrally, you're okay, so this is what love is supposed to be, but there's a major disconnect because of what you have experienced and what has has gotten a head start in shaping you before now. Or maybe you love singing the songs. Maybe the worship is your favorite part because the music that goes along with it really stirs that emotion. And so your emotion gets stirred and then all of a sudden you feel better about it and then you can talk about love with this medication of music, but when the music dies and the music fades, and you go back home to loneliness or depression or hurt and misshapen abuses of love, and that music isn't there and that emotion isn't there, you all of a sudden lose that medication for how we're supposed to really experience it. Man, our souls need to understand the love of God. We need to stare at 1 Corinthians 13. We need to stare at 1 John we need to stare at Romans 8. The next three weeks, we want to stare at a God who loves you and is speaking into that love, and it should have action attached to it. It should produce change in your life. And if it only produces happy sentiment, well, then you're missing it. Then you're not digging deep enough. So how do you know if you're walking in that kind of love? Certainly that's my prayer, is, is it affecting you? Is it bringing change? Is it shaping you? Is it setting you free? Are you still stuck in sin that you hate, that you hate, that you can't shake? Are you still stuck in brokenness and loneliness and anxiety and depression, lust, relationship cycles? Are you still stuck in those places? Then we haven't let the love of God shape us enough. The biblical love of God through the word of God shape us enough. It's difficult to wrap my heart and my soul and my brain around that in uh, in a sermon. But as we stare at this correct shape of the love of God, uh, that is what we hope changes. So uh, here's, here's what I want us to do now. Like I said, this, uh, this sermon is hopefully going to leave us with a little bit more questions and a lot of unresolved tension. Um, but I hope that it at least teases us out to understand the importance of love. That we walk away from tonight with an appreciation and understanding that, my God, I need this my God, I need this proper love that produces change. My God, I need a kind of love that's personified, that has actions because I'm tired. I'm tired of emotion. I'm tired of just church. I'm tired of faking it because I know it's the right thing to do or believe but something that truly shapes us and so that we have raised the urgency for all of us, including me, that that we would raise that urgency. And then my hope, how we walk out of here tonight, is that we would lean into that. My prayer, genuine prayer for you guys, is that you would lean in, in the next five weeks, in in the months of January and February, in 2017, you said, Lord, for these weeks, I want to really dig deep at what the love of God looks like. I want to shine some light on aspects of, of misconceptions that I've had about it. And I want you to change how I see you and how I see other people because of it. And then we've got to step out in faith and knock Bibles down and all kinds of stuff. Um, <clears throat> we've got to step out in faith. Um, to just say we love him more, to just try to fight for more understanding of what love is, isn't going to produce change. What we're called to do and even as the band comes up here in a second and we continue to worship, is we're called to say, Lord, would you give me the faith to believe you? Would you give me the faith that produces healing for the wounds that I have or the wounds that I didn't know I have or the ways that it's been misinterpreted or the ways that I have misinterpreted it for other people and I've hurt other people? Would you reveal the forgiveness you have for me in making those mistakes? But as we go back into worship, Our next steps are to lean into the love of God in a way that challenges and changes us, in a way that brings healing, and then believe his word for what it says. Believe 1 Corinthians for what it says. Believe the word of God as he speaks throughout time and says, I love you. I love you. And that you know you have a God who tonight, it's no accident that you're here, has called you into something deeper, a better picture of his love let me pray over you. Father, we love you. Um, we use that word, um, but we, we need your understanding of what that means more and more, Lord. We need your spirit to shape that love in us. God, I am so excited about what you're gonna do in the lives of, I'm so excited about what you're gonna do in my life, Father. Um, but Lord, would you, um, would you continue what you started in us? Would you give us the faith to believe you for who you are? Would you give us the faith to come before you? Confess the ways that we confess the ways that we distort this love, confess the lies that we believe about it and bring restoration to those places in our life, God. We need you for this miraculous work. In the name of Jesus. Amen.